Welcome to the broadcast. Every Arizona homeowner's best friend. Thanks for tuning in. It's Rosie on the house. Your weekend wake-up tradition. Country boys and girls getting down on the phone. Good morning, everybody. You're tuned in to the outdoor living hour of Rosie on the house. Every Arizona homeowner's happy place. You know, I just got back from a week in Washington, D.C., and I can tell you, I couldn't be happier to be back right here in the great state of Arizona. In the outdoor living hour of the first weekend of every month, we bring in Miss Julie Murphy. Julie, welcome. Thank you for joining us. Good morning, Rosie. I'm so glad to be here. Owner and director of the Arizona Farm Bureau. (laughs) Sometimes I feel ownership in it because I just love it so much and I love what I do. I know you do. I know you do. And you brought in a special guest from the back roads of Arizona. Yes, true back roads too. True dirt road back roads. Stephanie Smallhouse, Arizona Farm Bureau's president, is here with us today. But we're going to talk more about Christmas traditions on the farm and ranch, in Stephanie's case, and all sorts of fun stuff. Stephanie, welcome. Good morning. Thank you for having me. Oh, it's a kick having you here. You hear the term Arizona ranch. And a couple of folks will drive out to the boulders and carefree and think <laughs> and think they see a ranch along the way around Lone Mountain Road or somewhere. Or they'll drive up to Wickenburg or they'll drive up to Payson and see a house on the side of the road. One Stephanie, to get home, you really have to be diligent. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, I do. I, I'm about 30 minutes from the nearest town, and that town, about the only thing it has in it left is a dollar store so um so yeah it's quite a trip and what, going back what, and forth your small your nearest town is mammoth san manuel it is san manuel, yep. okay. san manuel arizona great little town though well i've kind of been through your neighborhood wilcox airport what is it triple links road that goes down to the three links road three links yeah oh, three links and then up up the san pedro up to san manuel so i've i've kind of been in your neighborhood but i, I had to want to get there yeah <laughs> yeah we kind of like being hidden out there kind of a, a hidden gem but i'm impressed that you you know the names of all those places you've and, driven right by us then and your your ranch is carlink ranch carlink ranch in reddington arizona we're pretty much the only thing there but uh, we used to be a little booming town but uh, not not these days just us now you're how many generations on this ranch so we have been ranching in Arizona since 1879, but we have been at this current location where I live since 1884. So my kids are the sixth generation to grow up and work on the ranch. Now, the family that founded the Reddington area, their name wasn't Reddington. It, it was like Renfro or something uh, like that. No, uh, Redfield was one Redfield. of the first. Okay. Yep, was one of the first families there. But uh, the the namesake for the ranch started out as the Baylises, and they originally came from Kansas. Okay, so, so you're not associated with the stage robber. No. <laughs> Of, of, I wouldn't admit it if I was. Of the Redfield but... <laughs> family that robbed the state. I, I think he was actually lynched in, in, he was. in mayor or someplace, we, right? We have a, Reddington has a sordid past in terms of. Um, <laughs> every every corner of Arizona right. does. Yeah, we, we, we hid we hid some, some gems in Arizona history. So. Okay. And you may have some ghosts on the ranch just because, what year are you celebrating? A hundred and. We're on the heels of 140, so we're we're getting right. that's, close. That's absolutely awesome. So. Well, you, right there on the San Pedro River, I mean, you have a, a beautiful, beautiful setup. I've never been to your ranch, but I've been through your neighborhood. I know, so it, it's a gorgeous area. You grew up on the ranch? 
I did not. Um, I moved there in 1999, so I've been there for almost 24 years. My husband grew up on the ranch, though, and, uh, you know, all of those generations prior to, to him. So. That's his limb? Yep. Of the tree? Yes. Okay. It's his limb of the tree. <laughs> okay. All right. All right. So how does he persuade you, Miss Stephanie, come out and meet my parents? Now, it's going to take us two and a half hours to get there. <laughs> And it's going to take a four-wheel drive and a dirt road, but we'll get there. You know, the first he's always had too much confidence in me because the first time he invited me out to the ranch, he basically just gave me some very brief directions. Of course, that was before, you know, Google Maps for sure, sure even sure. cell phones. And he basically told me to go over two bridges and look for the black mailbox, and that was after about 45 miles. So, yeah, I question my decisions all the time, even today sometimes. So, And I, I love the story because you actually were working for – Weren't you working for one of the agencies? Yeah, I was working for the Bureau of Land Management in Southern Utah as a wildlife biologist at the time. So it wasn't unusual for you to be in these out-of-the-way places? Like, no, absolutely not. I, I fit right into the, the isolation that you were talking about before and, uh, and just the outdoors life because that's what I love. But uh, One of the things, you've been on the show before, so many of our listeners may know you, well, and certainly in the ranching and farming as president of Arizona Farm Bureau. For the new listener or somebody that hasn't heard your story before, talk about the diversity of your ranch and some of the things you and Andy are doing. Sure, so the Carling Ranch has always been kind of built around a diverse nature of business. We've never just always been cattle. So early in the um, 20th century, we, were, we had an ice store in Tucson, we had a meat market in Tucson, we had a sheep, we were running sheep and cattle. Uh, at one point, we grew cotton. You'll appreciate that, Julie. And we oh, got out of that because we realized we didn't know what we were doing. I did not <laughs> know that. That's so cool. Turns out that's just not such a good idea everywhere. But uh, but anyway, now today what we're doing is uh, we still do the beef cattle. That's always been our bread and butter for all these years. Um, but we also uh, dabble a little bit in mesquite lumber. Um, we sell some high-end mesquite lumber every once in a while. Uh, we have a farm, of course, where we grow pretty much crops just for our own cattle, so feed for our own cattle. Um, but in the last 10 or 12 years, we started a saguaro cactus nursery. And so that is, yeah, I tell people we actually grow cactus on purpose um, at our place. So, But it's, it's, it's quite a good business, and so that's been kind of our... Our focus as of late is the and cactus you, and the cattle. And you have to tell yourself, especially for the cactus, you're in it for the long haul. For sure. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I told my husband the other day, I said, if we had planted pecans, we'd already be making money. <laughs> well, that's, there's a point. So, it's, so it was one-time cotton. It is cattle. It is cacti and children. Yes, we, the, we've, the hit, four we've hit many seas. <laughs> <laughs> I can't keep track of they're all involved in Arizona, but a lot of a lot of seas there. So, uh, so you're raising the seventh generation sixth, on the ranch. Si you're sixth raising generation. the sixth generation yep. on the ranch. Yep. A boy and a girl. Yep, and my son already works. If if he could quit school and work full time, he would. But I seem to convince him every single morning that he needs How to How far to does he have to go for school? Well, they go to school in Tucson, so it's about an hour and 20 minutes. So, yeah. Every, one way. One way. Every one way. day. <laughs> Every day. So they're, they're getting home like it's supper time. Yes. My daughter mentioned to me the other day, you know, Mom, I've actually spent a percentage of my life in a car. And I said, yeah, I know. Yeah. <laughs> but it's a lot of good time of talking. You know? And that's not unusual for a ranch kid no. out in the middle no, of no, nowhere. No, And also even farm kids. No. I remember the traveling we had to do when we grew up on our farm in Maricopa, and every Monday through Friday, we were also on the swim team in Chandler. And so at the be beginning, mother would have to send us. So we always said, Mom, I feel like I'm living in the car. Then she talked some other moms into joining the swim team in Chandler. And so we had that was uh, smart. Drive, drive time. I think kids 
farm and ranch kids are just used to that. You know, a fun thing to learn about you too, Stephanie, is obviously your background is not ranching. So when you came into this, you know, what were some of the first, like, impressions or challenges or have you ever said to yourself, what did I get myself into <laughs> falling in love? No, actually, it's been a great fit ever since the beginning. I, I probably would say the hardest adjustment when you don't grow up in agriculture and if you're a planner and fairly organized like I try to be is the unpredictable nature of it. it that's the hardest thing. I still have trouble with that today is just trying to you're trying to plan and you know you try to budget you try to plan your day and, and you just can't because things go haywire you know first hour of the morning best late intentions never really work out <laughs> you have to really be a pivoter or somebody that pivots not only pivot ir irrigation i think you guys yep. do that on the farm <laughs> but pivot to an immediate response because something is emerging because we're we're being influenced by the weather we're being influenced by regulations when they change. I mean, well, anytime you combine animals with commodity markets with weather, you pretty much should just give up planning because right. <laughs> you, there's always something that comes up, and you know you could make a plan for a load of livestock for months, and then something happened the week before that totally screws you up. So, well, talk about your cattle. It is your main commodity. Um, I know that you guys have done a lot over the years in, with your certifications. So you qualify for specifics in the market. Talk about that a little bit for. Yeah, we've we've changed a lot over the years. Um, we've become interested a lot of new technology. Um, today we sell our cattle with a lot of different verifications. In fact, we just did an audit where somebody comes out to the ranch from a from a company that does that, and they check go through all of our books and our records and all of the things that we do for the cattle. And so when we say you know that we're selling all natural beef. Um, antibiotic free or whatever we we want to be able to sell our cattle to the widest market and so we try to um, institute practices and different things when we raise our animals and husbandry that we appeal to all sorts of markets and I can order half a beef yes you can we don't we don't do we're, we're how does that get delivered <laughs> on two or legs do, or do I come very carefully <laughs> no we deliver we deliver um, statewide how big an area do y'all deliver well, you know, today we've delivered anywhere that somebody will order, but um, but we try to stay fairly local, you know, to our area. We have enough customers there, but we're actually trying to transition to we're working with a guy who's building a slaughter plant, um, processing plant in Tucson, and um, we have a deal with him where he's going to slowly start to process all of our animals. So we're trying to transition away from a national global market to a local market. Awesome. You'll ship him live head. Um, yeah, yeah. So we'll basically send him as much supply as we can and work with other ranchers. So today's uh, the USDA NAS numbers on cattle is 754 million, and that's just in the cash receipts. That's not aggregating the economics of uh, the contribution to labor and all that stuff. Just cash receipts, and that's up from last year's 673 million dollars in the Arizona cattle market on cash receipts. So it's pretty good, and with you transitioning to eventually 100% local market? That's what we want to do. It's quite that's challenging, awesome. but that's what we'd like to do. And I've had a New Mexico rancher tell me years ago that Arizona cattle really weren't being raised for human <laughs> consumption. So yeah, those New I, Mexicans. That's, that, 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 just <laughs> over the border, just right over the border. So I want yeah. to get your opinion on why would he have said that and— what is the beef in Arizona being raised for? 
when we get back. We're here talking this hour in our outdoor living hour of Roselle Mouse about cattle, in particular, the Carlink Ranch. Uh, in one of my hiking adventures, I was just a little bit east of Duncan, right over the Arizona-New Mexico line, and it was about lunch hour, and I pulled over under a mesquite tree, and was a rancher pulled up, and we got to talking. And now this goes back to the late 70s. He was a cattle rancher, and he was bad-mouthing Arizona cattle. Shame. Say, oh, shame. Say, well, the, the, the cattle on that, the Arizona side of the border, aren't raised for human consumption. What, <laughs> what, what was he talking about? You said it was back in the 70s. That's carryover from, yeah, back in the 50s or so. It's true, decades ago, we were raising more desert cattle, which don't have the same marbling and all of the different things that people look for. You know, we've see. spoiled the American public with the beef we provide today. So Amen. No problems today. You also raise the feed, so they're not just surviving off Quail, manna grass, quail grass, and, no, we, and prickly pear. We actually have a pretty complicated system of rotation between our rangeland grasses, which are very high in nutritive content, more so than in the Midwest, and then we we um, move them back and forth between on the growing season between our range and what we grow on the field. Top-notch beef, and it's easy to access, by the way, Arizona beef, and it's about 54%, and that's in just the regular grocery store. Plus, source for beef on Fill Your Plate, there's 50-plus different ranchers that will sell it to you directly. Direct. So it's wow. easy to get Arizona-grown beef. So Christmas on the ranch and the farm. So we're <laughs> going to talk a little bit about that. We did a series on Fill Your Plate on the blog about Christmas on the farm and ranch, and we have some great stories. Search on the blog, Christmas Traditions on the Farm, you'll find it. We have about six stories, and I'm actually thinking I'm going to revive that for December. So one of them is about mom when she went to visit relatives in Missouri from Iowa, and they had to dress a bunch of chickens, and it wasn't with hats and, and little sweaters. <laughs> the electricity went out. They all huddled together to stay warm on a very cold night, smothered most of the chickens. So they spent that evening and into the morning on Christmas Day dressing chickens to freeze them and try to save the loss. So there's that story on Christmas Eve, Christmas Day. I wouldn't want to make that a tradition, though. <laughs> Yeah. Amen. yeah, you're right. That's not a tradition. And then a lot of our farm and ranch families, you always hear the story about hooking up the sled to the farm equipment, our small tractor, and hauling the kids around and family, especially the uh, extended family members that have um, family members that are from the urban areas, and they want that experience. So that's a Christmas tradition with the farm and ranch families that I'm always in contact with. And then we have one of them in the series where there were three different stories about how they even incorporate Mrs. Claus into all the experiences, including all the baking and stuff. That's real fun. And then I think one of my favorites is the oyster stew. Have you guys ever heard about why in the Midwest during Christmas there's always so much oyster stew? No. Well, <clears throat> this... Uh, Bill Niels, he wrote a book, Southern Cooking. The Romero family will appreciate this. <laughs> Before acceptance of refrigerated food transport, inland food supplies depended on the weather. So anything that had to stay cold, it was hard to keep it fresh. Well, obviously in the winter, it was easier to do. Sure. Pack whatever they were hauling into the Midwest 
uh, on these train cars, a lot of ice, some straw. And once these um, loads of oysters were hauled into the Midwest, the families would purchase those, bring home literally buckets, and they'd make oyster stew. And that was kind of a signal for a lot of the farm and ranch families or rural people in general that, okay, Christmas is coming. Let's have oyster stew on Christmas Eve. And that's what our family, because on my mom's side, we all come from the Midwest, that's what we celebrate on Christmas Eve is this wonderfully tasty oyster stew. And by the way, the recipe is on Fill Your Plate. I was going to say. I hear you now. Oh, you do? There we go. Oyster stew is new to me. Oyster dressing, on the other hand, was pretty common during Christmas in Louisiana. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Okay, so, and it's maybe for the same reason. When a girl from the Midwest started talking oysters, I thought we were going a much different direction. (laughs) (laughs) When we were talking cattle and oysters in Kansas, I thought, okay. (laughs) And I'm not sure if all our Arizona ranch families necessarily uh, cook oyster stew, but it's a really huge... Midwest tradition, and all of it has to do with foods that you have to keep cool, and this is fresh fresh seafood, so to speak, in the Midwest. So uh, my curious question for you, Stephanie, is what are some of, as a ranch family, what are some of the traditions that you and Andy Smallhouse have instituted for your two kids? Well, I think probably the most prevalent one that that kind of gets talked about the most in our house is, is our Christmas tree. Uh, Christmas trees are very important to me. I love Christmas trees and we've always cut our own tree. And um, it's by the grace of God that I haven't strangled my husband every single year that we've gone out to get a tree. Uh, he's, he's probably <laughs> grateful for that. <laughs> but it's he always tells me, well, you wouldn't remember it if something didn't go wrong. So, which he's absolutely right. But that has really become um, a really big, important tradition. You know, as soon as we, the, the earliest we can, we, we drive out and we try to get a tree. We used to travel around Arizona in search of a tree, and, and now we just um, take them off of our off of our place. And, you know, it's it's not your traditional Christmas tree. It's a, a juniper, usually. Uh, yeah, I was going to say. Yeah, yeah. So it's the kind of tree that's way too big once you get it to the house. And uh, and then when you're done with it, you have to bring a chainsaw in to get it out to your house. That <laughs> <laughs> so, sounds like some of those Christmas movie, well, movies. Well, when we, we get watch. back, which we will in just a minute, I want to hear a couple more of your family Christmas traditions on the Carlink Ranch in Reddington, Arizona, from the Small House family. Thank you for tuning in to Rosie on the House. We like to call it every Arizona homeowner's happy place. Where this hour, I'm particularly having a happy hour visiting with a genuine Arizona rancher, sixth generation rancher of the Carling Ranch down in Reddington, Arizona. Is that still Pima County? Just barely. I was going to say that has to be just barely, right? (laughs) Okay. But anyway, you were talking before the break about particular Christmas traditions of the small house family on your ranch yeah i think you know when i think about traditions around our house it really is centered mostly just about family and food i mean isn't it for everybody i mean it's like this is the time of year when everybody says mom are you going to make this mom are you going to make that you always make this and so i was foolish in the beginning doing all of these things when i was excited and with young children now i'm old and have old children and i don't feel like (laughs) making cinnamon rolls (laughs) but um but just in terms of family on my side of the family I've brought some Spanish stuff into it, and so we always have beef empanadas, um, oh, yeah. which are mincemeat. Awesome. Love those. And then green chili beef stew, um, pasoli on my, from my mom, and then Andy's side of the family, we always have tamales. 
And so it's really just one of those things where I think that, you know, it goes back to why is agriculture so important to everybody's daily life. It's because we produce something that's at the center of what everybody does. You know, everybody gathers around food and they have a lot of memories um, surrounding those, whether it's at the holidays or just something, you know, that you grew up with. So I think really mostly we just want to be together and have good food. <laughs> Amen. Speaking of tamales, one of the families that wrote on our blog, on the Fill Your Plate blog, mentioned that the mom had a rule that they couldn't start eating the tamales that were for Christmas until Christmas Day because there were so many kids and a couple of years previous, they'd eaten all the tamales before they could have them for Christmas <laughs> right? dinner. So, But it's so fun, some of the traditions. And in many ways, the traditions of our farmer, farm and ranch families are very similar from our fam, Arizona families in general. But it's kind of fun that they're hooking up a tractor to a sled and things like that. Oh, and I have heard Santa has mapped out every Arizona ranch that has available feed for his reindeer. Oh. Well, that's smart. Yes. Oh. Uh, a couple of our ranch families are actually on their, his radar and the reindeer like it because, you know, they can munch and kind of get recharged and have food to eat. And the kids for these ranch families go out, and sure enough, those reindeer Brilliant. eat that feed. <laughs> and it's it's, it's better than New Mexico feed, I want to say. Yeah, yeah it's better than New Mexico feed. <laughs> yes. Take so. that, New Mexico. I've heard so. on good sources, Santa Claus, you don't just skips New Mexico. Exactly. Well, that's what I've yeah, Exactly. There you go. And if we think of any other Christmas traditions on the farm or ranch, we'll mention them. But... You know, as president for Arizona Farm Bureau, every year we release our priority issues. Water is always at the top of a list of anywhere from eight. Sometimes it's 10, sometimes it's 12 priority issues. So Stephanie, as president of Arizona Farm Bureau, what's front and center as it relates to water for us going into this new legislative year? Well, water is of utmost importance. I mean, it always is, but it really is um, a critical issue this year, going into next year, we know that we're not going to have the precipitation that we're going to need on the Colorado River. And, uh, you know, there are a lot of farms that lost water this year. Um, I don't think folks in, in town have necessarily experienced any kind of um, conservation measures or loss of water, but our farm families certainly have. And so Arizona Farm Bureau is really going to be looking into the next year of making sure that funding that has been appropriated to improve infrastructure, to save water, to get more water to the farm. Um, gets on the ground where it's supposed to be. We're going to be working on streamlining permitting processes to make sure that funding that's been appropriated both federally and state um, get on these farms, get to these places where we need to have that water. Um, you know, Arizona Farm Bureau, um, we're, you know, trying to trying to get the message across that, you know, um, agriculture needs water and, and you need agriculture. And that's really sums it up, right? Um, and so agriculture is such a, a dynamic part of Arizona and such a, a legacy part of Arizona that, um, you know, we can't, we can't grow food without the water. And so we're going to spend a lot of time focusing and just trying to maintain um, water where we can. Right. And we've instituted a lot of cons conservation practices for the decades when it comes to water use. We continue to improve our technology, pivots, save water, even quote-unquote flood irrigation, a lot of people think, oh my gosh, that's using up a lot. But when you look at the uh, laser leveling, tabletop smooth land and how a half uh, acre foot to as much as an acre foot per acre reduction, even when they do that type of watering, everybody loves drip. They think that's the greatest, but they don't realize that it takes 1500 to $2,000 an acre to 
implement it. So it's very high cost. And if you're leasing land, you're not going to be able to afford that. So a lot of the conservation practices that farmers and ranchers have been doing over the years or over the decades, um, it's coming to full fruition with some of the things we're doing. And I'm really encouraged by the legislation from the last legislator, legislature, let's see if I can say it, where they uh, appropriated, what, over a billion dollars? Talk a little bit about that bill. Yeah, that was some funding that came to the legislature last year, and some of it's going to be set aside for more urban, um, large population center um, funding programs, infrastructure for metropolitan water, and augmentation, water treatment. And then some of it is set aside for rural Arizona for those types of projects that focus more on watershed health and collecting water. And it's really just about um, water augmentation. There's a conservation element to it as well, um, so that's good. And I think, you know, asking, talking about priorities, you talked a lot about water conservation in Arizona, and obviously that's going to be at the center of a lot of what farmers and ranchers are transitioning to, um, even more technology or what have you. But this is going to be a farm bill year, too. And so in 2023, we'll be writing a new farm bill that is enacted for five years. It's called the Farm Bill, but it's really a food and nutrition bill. 75% um, of it is about food programs for low-income families in the United States. But the whole bill really addresses food security, whether it's for low-income families or whether it's for our national security and food supply. A significant portion of the less than 25% that's actually for farming um, programs is about conservation. And so the writing of that new farm bill next year is going to be extremely important to maintain funding for conservation and um, for places just like Arizona. Actually, really the whole Colorado River Basin. Um, a lot of folks don't realize, but over 60% of the whole nation's fruits and vegetables are grown in lower Colorado River Basin states. 60%. Yep. And, and of course, we know in Yuma, head. Yuma grows the winter, is right. the winter lettuce capital um, for the entire country. And so... Um, there are a lot of farmers who are wringing their hands right now. And, uh, you know, and this is, you know, I know it's in the back of other people's minds um, in terms they hear about the drought, they see it in the front news of the paper, whatever, whatever. Um, but this is what's keeping farmers up at night is, is their water. Um, so it's of great concern, and, and it'll connect to other things that we work on, like the farm bill. Yeah. Um, what, you know, you said this is keeping farmers and ranchers up at night, uh, farm bill, water issues but what keeps you up at night as president of arizona farm bureau <laughs> all, all of the, yeah all, all of the above um yeah. you know it it's it's challenging at, at farm bureau we're the largest general farm organization in the state of arizona we represent every sector in agriculture and um every sector in agriculture has different water problems every area of arizona has different water challenges and um you know and so it's it it's a it's a challenge to try to maintain um, fair fairness in terms of fighting for everybody as hard as you can, but also recognizing everybody has different needs. Um, so, but yeah, I mean, the water issue, the labor issue, um, you know, is, is a real challenge. Uh, the rest of the economy is experiencing labor shortages. Agriculture has been experiencing it for, um, you know, four decades now. So We even have concerns with the rail is issue. Yep. I know American, and we've been discussing it at Arizona Farm Bureau, you know, is there going to be a rail strike? So we're hoping maybe Congress can fix it. How hopeful are you about Arizona's water situation then? Remember, it's Christmas, so it's hope and joy and peace among <laughs> So I, I am always hopeful. I don't think you can be in agriculture without being hopeful, to be honest with you. And the fact is, is that we have always created technology in agriculture to put us above and beyond everybody else in the world. 
And, um, and so we will, we will determine those technologies, we will determine those crops, we will develop those markets um, for crops that use less water, um, because that's just what we do. We, you know, it's, it's um, we, like NASA, you know, NASA has a say, saying, um, failure is not an option. And I have that up in my office because it's not for agriculture. Failure is not an option. And uh, especially in Arizona, given our climate and the fact that we can grow food year round, we have an incredibly diverse um, uh, set of crops that we can grow here. So even for the country, failure is not an option in Arizona and we will figure it out. Good. I love that. That's why you're president of Arizona Farm Bureau. The, if, you, if you said 60% of our vegetables are coming from the Colorado Basin, did I say that Lower right? Colorado Lower River Basin. Lower yeah. Colorado Basin. We can't, because the USDA, their pie chart basically for our nutrition, I mean, what is it? Fruits and vegetables are half of the plate. So we can't afford to not get this right. Absolutely not. And, it, and it's not just fruits and vegetables, right? It's um, Dairy is incredibly local. Um, and so those states that are on the Colorado River Basin that have um, large dairy states, it's incredibly important that they get the, um, the feed that they need through those crops. People you know, say, oh, we're growing a lot of alfalfa in Arizona. Well, that's what animals eat. <laughs> and so any kind of protein that we use in our diet comes, a, comes originally from livestock who probably um, needed some of that feed that's being grown. And, uh, and we can grow... Uh, more cuttings than anywhere else in the country. Um, so that's also important. So it's not just fruits and vegetables. It's our dairy industry, our livestock You're industry. Right. Um, everything that we grow here is of utmost importance because of the fact that we have a lot of diversity. Now, Miss Stephanie, you were talking, you and Julie were talking about that new legislative appropriation, which is a pretty significant number. Uh, it's a lot of dollars. Yeah. That's a lot of cabbage. Um, <laughs> how long would you think, in your experience in that realm, because I have no experience at that realm, how long will it take from an appropriation to the ranchers seeing some of it and putting it to use? Well, like anything else in government, it's a process, right? Yeah, sure. I think some projects will happen very quickly. I think more of the, the rural projects will happen faster um, because of the fact that you, you have less red tape to get through um, and you have more ability to to diversify those projects. Urban areas, um, you have a lot more to consider in yeah. terms of moving parts. And those projects will be more complicated. You know, it's complicated to treat water, to take salt out of water, or do sure. different things. Um, and those are going to take a little while. But, you know, it's never too late to start. <laughs> and they have some good, you know, baseline or parameters in place. So there will be a, I'm calling it a committee, what is it, a working group that will evaluate proposals that can come from different groups? Yeah, there was a lot of oversight that was put into the bill. And the fact is, is it's not really, the money doesn't really, is not really gonna go directly to farmers and ranchers. It's gonna go through government um, bodies like um, irrigation districts, conservation districts, county governments. It'll go through those government bodies and then be distributed. So it's not a direct thing to farming and ranching, but farmers and ranchers will benefit directly from those projects. And those proposals, have to be evaluated by that board. Yeah, a lot of oversight. A, yep. a lot of oversight, so it's not something that's at risk. Here visiting with Stephanie Smallhouse from the Arizona Farm Bureau. Thank you a million for coming in and sharing your family stories, sharing the stories about the family ranch. The website for the ranch? CarlingRanch.com. And it's Mesquite Wood on a limited custom basis. Yep. It's a cacti uh, that will be available. Well, <laughs> I mean, when you, me. when, you, when, you, when you pick saguaras, I mean, you know, uh, 
they'll, yes. they'll be available we're, we sell this Saguaros. century? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we're, we're actually selling Saguaros now um, okay. through Savano's Nursery in Tucson, right. but we're hoping to start selling out of our own um, nursery stock. We've just started this year. We're 13 years in, so that tells you oh, how long it okay. takes to grow a Saguaro to three feet tall. <laughs> and then cattle. And then cattle, yeah. All right. At the Carlink Ranch and the website again. CarlinkRanch.com. Just recently, we posted Rosie's steak recipe on the website, and, it, and it's got awesome. more hits than almost anything we've covered in a while. And it's not Rosie's. When my dad was in med school in New Orleans, his favorite steakhouse was Chris's Steakhouse, mm-hmm. and a woman worked there by the name of Ruth Fertel. And Ruth and dad became, not friends, but they knew each other. And then mom and dad got married, and Ruth taught mom how to cook steaks. Oh my Ruth goodness. bought Chris's Steakhouse, and it's what you now know oh, as Ruth's I've wondered Chris that. Steakhouse. I'm, I'm, so, just, I'm glad to know that so story. My, my killer recipe, and I gave it credit for who credit was due, isn't mine, but I, I love, a, and, it, it, and it must start with a good piece of meat. Yes. It does, it, but you also have to know how to cook it because you can ruin a good piece of meat. Uh, yeah, that's true. That's yeah, true. and one of the on the break, what we were talking about is our ranch families. It's not a turkey on Christmas Day. It's prime rib or something else. What does your family do? We have beef Wellington. Oh, oh. man! Can I come to your house? Oh. Yeah, yes. so hungry. Man, oh, I'll man. bring wine. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> come on down. So, do you do the whole thing? I mean, do you? Um, how do you do your crust? Maybe we need your recipe. Put <laughs> so on. I do the I do the I do the traditional pastry crust, but instead of the foie gras, which is the way it's served a lot of times in restaurants, I do like a mushroom pate type. Um, oh wow! That I cover it in, and then um, the oh shoot, what's the real fancy pork um, pan pan <laughs> the pork slices that you put okay. salad and stuff? What I can't think of it right well, now. Well, anyway, I wrap it in that. Yeah, put the pastry right. Well. And it's got to be beef from the Carlink Ranch, correct? Hopefully. <laughs> but I'll admit, not always. But uh, not always. a tenderloin is, is hard to come up with on the fly. So yes. So that's an ideal. And just know, obviously, on Rosie on the House, their website, and also on Fill Your Plate, we've got a lot of recipes from our farmers and ranchers and just how to cook a good steak. But I'm kind of thinking I need to check out what your grandma's recipe it's an easy one it is really it's it's an easy one boy it's it's a it's a head turner i'll tell you it'll have you it'll have your friends coming back often that's for sure so make sure you want your friends coming yes (laughs) so yeah right right only serve it to the friends you want back so miss stephanie what would be one or two of the takeaways you'd want our listeners to know about arizona agriculture that we've shared with them this hour well, I just, we, you know, we always hope that people remember that, especially during the holidays, like I said before, you know, food is kind of at the center of everything that we do. And, you know, just keep in mind and keep in your prayers um, and your thoughts, you know, the folks around Arizona who are growing that food and fiber, the folks who, um, you know, process that food and fiber, all of the, everything that goes into the food supply chain. You know, I think during COVID, people really realized how fragile that can be. And, um, you know, and, and what better time to remember that and appreciate that 
than when you've got your family gathered around um, some good food. So, and then also just, you know, Arizona Farm Bureau um, is a general farm organization, but we're also a general membership organization. Amen, you are. And um, and if you want to support your local farmers and ranchers, that's what our membership is. It's grassroots. If you want to support those folks that are providing that food and fiber, um, you know, throughout the year, not just in the holidays, uh, become a member of Arizona Farm Bureau. Julie, run through a list of, of, of membership benefits for a city folk. Sure. There's all sorts of things. There you are. Can, like if you sign up uh, and it's just 60 bucks a year, you can take advantage of the Ford discount if you want to get that F-150. Uh, we've got a, a lot of entertainment benefits, including Harkins tickets. We've also got a lot of uh, travel benefits, different hotels, different rental cars so and there's also local benefits for your county right because our farm bureau is organized by county and so some counties have local businesses that provide benefits correct i just use the boot barn benefit okay Um, yeah christmas christmas shopping um you can pay for your arizona farm bureau membership with one trip to boot barn christmas shopping so all right and there's a lot you can cover at the boot barn yes (laughs) yeah i'm so glad you mentioned that because a lot of our direct market farms like mortimer farms schnuff farms um the event calendar yeah there's yeah. an event calendar but what's cool is a lot of those direct market farms where they invite the public to come to their farm you'll get a discount if you show your member ticket your membership ticket so i mean our family we don't farm anymore this is proof of the point that you don't have to be a farmer or a rancher the murphy family does not farm in arizona anymore well they still let me be a member and i'm a member because they also pay my salary i'm I'm drinking the sh- <laughs> drinking the champagne, drinking the champagne as I'm very bullish on, and excite, and that's kind of a pun too. Wow. Very bullish on Arizona Farm Bureau because it's just one of the most amazing grassroots organizations that you can experience, and then on top of it, you get all these benefits. Well, we talk about Rosie on the house, uh, endeavoring to become every Arizona homeowner's best friend and making a Saturday morning every Arizona homeowner's happy place, and. Uh, I think this was a happy hour, and I can't thank you, Miss Stephanie, enough for uh, making your drive and commute to get here and visit with us. And, Julie, thank you so much for arranging it. Really, Absolutely. Really, uh, really appreciate it. Thank I look you. forward to this every first Saturday of the month because there's so much we cover, and I, get, I learn things from my farmers and ranchers, even though I may be talking to them all the time. Steph, I didn't realize you guys were going direct market, cheering you on on that. <laughs> that's it's awesome. It's a long process. but uh... That's awesome. Well, we regularly buy our beef direct, and we buy it in bulk. Uh, uh, but that's the and advantage. you guys raise a little beef, that's, too, don't you? Uh, Romy. Yeah. Romy does Romy a little bit. Romy raises a little bit. Uh, but, but his herd ain't big enough to support this family. <laughs> 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 I may get a hamburger out of that deal once in a while. Once in a while. So, Miss Stephanie Smallhouse, thank you so much for joining us, Julie. Thanks again.